again, thank you for being here this morning at Lindsley Avenue. Uh, we are glad all of you are here. Hope you'll come back again whenever you can. Uh, if you're traveling away from us here this afternoon or this evening, we wish you uh, best wishes and safety on your trip. Uh, for those who remain in town, I want to remind us all that we do have Wednesday night classes here at 7 o'clock. And if you can't join us here in the building, they're always live on Facebook. Thank you very much. Always on Facebook, you can watch them live or after the fact. We started a new class on Wednesday night that's titled, Why I Believe. It's simply a, more or less a testimony, a, a walkthrough of the reasons I personally believe that God is real. I kind of like the way I'm approaching that one because if you don't like one of my reasons, well, those are my reasons. And so if nothing else, it's, it's hard to have an argument when I'm simply going through why I believe. And this week, this Wednesday night, we're talking about the moral argument for the existence of God, making the distinction between good and evil. So hopefully you can join us here in the building or uh, on Facebook or at some other time. So thank you for being here. This morning we're talking about excuses. Talking about excuses, as I said, is something we're all familiar with. I don't think any of us would raise a hand if you said, who hasn't used an excuse in the last 12 months? We all, all do it. And so I want to start off with a story, a little story. You might call it a preacher story, but I'm going to start off with a story anyway. It was just about time to leave for church services when uh, she noticed her husband hadn't done anything to get ready to go. Confused, she asked, well, why aren't you dressed? He said, because I don't want to go. She said, well, why not? He said, well, I have three good reasons. First, the building's cold. B, there's no one there who likes me. Now, if you notice the first and B, that's a shout out to Home Alone. You know that movie? Okay, anyway. First, the building's cold. And B, no one there likes me. And third, I just don't want to go. Wife replied, Look, I have three reasons why you should go. First, the building's warm and you know it. Second, there are a few people there who like you. And third, you're the preacher. <laughs> Everyone makes excuses sometimes. We all do. Some, however, are a bit over the top. No one there likes me. You're the preacher. Yeah. I want us to look at what Phil read a few minutes ago from Luke 14. Jesus tells a story that has a whole lot of excuses in it. So look at me with this, and then we'll talk about who I think is the champion of excuses. See if you can guess between now and then who that's going to be. Jesus, in telling this parable, this story, said, A man once gave a great banquet and invited a lot of people, invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything's now ready. But they alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field. Let's go out and see it. Please have the excuse. The second, I bought five yoke of oxen. Please have me excused. I need to go examine them. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. Now, how, come on, guys. Don't go blaming your wife if you don't want to do something. That's, that's obviously, I mean, that's, that's rough. My wife won't let me go. Uh, I imagine there are a lot of married men who use that at some point. Shame, shame on us. Shame, shame on us. So someone's throwing a big dinner party. Now, back then, it's a little different than today. When someone made a feast, the day of the feast was announced well in advance and accepted long before the actual event. Invitations were sent out, but the hour, the time of the feast was not announced. Somebody might say simply, 
Throwing a big party Friday the 12th. Let me know if you're coming. We don't do it that way, right? Please arrive at 6 o'clock. You think of the formal invitations or something like that. We typically know if something's going on, when it is. Imagine, right, some performers coming to town. Big concert on July the 10th. Is it at 8 a.m.? Is it at noon? When is it? Imagine just being told a few minutes before when you needed to show up for the concert. So when the day came and all things were ready, servants were sent out to summon the already invited guests to accept the invitation ahead of time and then refuse it when the day and the time were known was considered a grave, grave insult. You told me you were coming to my event. Now you're not. We look at it and say, things change, right? Sometimes things happen between now and then. Sometimes people say, yes, I'll be there, and then they can't. And certainly we would think, not knowing the time, I could understand why maybe somebody couldn't make it. But in this day and culture, that did not happen. If you said you were going, you better go. And then the excuses started. Bought us a meal. Have to go out and check it out. You know, I, I bought a, a new wash basin to see if it holds water, whatever it may be. I bought five yokes of yoke oxen. Need to go check them out. I got a new mower, uh, whatever it may be. Just imagine, right? The excuses today might be different, but making of excuses. And then the worst one here, right? Married wife, I can't go. She ain't gonna let me go. Married wife, I can't go. In this parable, the master here stands for God. And the guests were intended, in Jesus' view here, when he's doing this, giving this parable, to be the Jewish people who had been told about the coming of the Messiah, God's chosen one, long in advance. The prophets had said many, many years before, Isaiah, 700 years before, Moses, 14, 1500 years before, that a prophet like Moses, God would rise up, who would tell the Jewish people everything. The feast had been talked about a long time ago, and the Jewish people throughout most of history had said, we'll be there. And then, of course, they refuse when the feast is actually ready, when Jesus comes. So Jesus is telling those who were listening that since you're turning down the feast now, we'll go out to the highways and byways. <laughs> we'll go pull people off of the, the interstate and the roads and find people. We're going to have a full house. If you're not going to come, we'll make sure the house is full. You're insulting us by saying, ah, I don't want to come now when you said you were. We'll make sure we have people here. So who do you think the champion of excuses would be? Switching gears a little bit. In the entire Bible, who would I think of holding up as the champion of excuses? Any ideas? It's okay not to be right. Anybody over here? Peter. I heard Peter as a guest. That's not a bad one. Anybody else? Job. Is that what I heard? Jonah. Moses. Jonah's got a good one. Moses. Moses. Let's see who I centered on. I knew if I asked long enough, somebody would come up with it, right? Go down there. Right, let me think. Everybody mentioned in the Bible. Do, 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 do. I want to go back to Exodus 3, and I want you to look at long list of excuses that Moses goes through. And what I hope is that that doesn't represent us. All the way back in Exodus 3, 7 through 10, God has appeared to Moses in a burning bush. 
Okay? I can't help but think of Charlton Heston standing there with Moses. Charlton Heston. I hope Moses at least looks somewhat like Charlton Heston, or I'm going to get him confused if I end up running into both of them sometime. Here's what the Lord says to Moses. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. They've been slaves for a long time. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel, the cry of my people, has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring out my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm going to send you, Moses. Look at Moses' response. He makes a long list of excuses. But Moses said to Pharaoh, Who am I to go to Pharaoh to bring the children out of Egypt? You know, to an extent, Moses is correct. He's really not the person you would pick if you were just picking somebody to go get the children of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, he's been gone a long time, and when he left running off, he killed somebody. Don't ever assume God can't make use of everyone. His basic thing is, I'm not qualified. You don't want me, you want somebody else. First excuse, right? What is God's response to that excuse? I'm trying to imagine if God wants me to do something, if I read something in the Bible that God would want me to do, and anything in the Bible pretty much is going to apply to us at some point, what kind of response would I give to God? What would that You want you don't want me. You want, you want her. Not me. What's God's response to Moses? I will be with you. If I'm with you, you can do anything. You don't want me. I'm not qualified. But I'm going to be with you. What kind of response is that? First excuse. I'm not qualified. God says, oh yeah? I'm going to be with you. Then Moses said to God, well, if I came to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now we miss a bit here because of history. We really don't understand this objection. The power of a messenger back nearly 3,500 years ago was in the name or the authority of who had sent them. I am here to take you out of Egypt. Oh, yeah, who sent you? Well, I don't know. Right? Uh, you know who sent me. I mean, you know, see what I mean, right? The, the power of the messengers and who sent me. You know, it's not necessarily a bad request, but they don't know who I am. They're not going to know who I am because they don't. You, you still don't want me, God. What's God's response? You tell them, I am has sent you. The one who is always existing, the one who has always existed, who always will exist, the one who in essence is the property of being. If you think about a description for God, this one is really profound because it's not a name of Bill, it's not a name of Baal, it's not a name of Zeus or something like that. This is, I am everything. One who is all in all. The reason anything exists is who sent you. I am essential. So notice, I will be with you. When Moses says, I'm not qualified, you don't want me. When he says, well, they're not going to know who I am because I don't know who you are. He says, well, the one who created all is going to be with you. Then Moses answers, he doesn't give up. Right? 
This is going to be number three. So he doesn't give up. Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord didn't appear to you. You're making this up. You're making this up. Think about it. He's going to go and tell people God appeared to me in a burning bush. What would your response be if somebody walks in here today and says, God appeared to me in a trash can. God appeared to me in a circle of light that scattered through the sky, a UFO. I mean, you'd be going, yeah, right. So this is not a bad objection. This is not, I mean, they're never going to believe me that a bush talked to me. I have a little sympathy for this one. A little sympathy for this one. They're not going to believe me. What's God's response to this one? Number three. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? God's going to use what Moses has. He ends up using his staff. Remember, he's a shepherd. He uses his staff to keep the sheep in line, smack them on the head, whatever, this rod, and his hand itself. And God uses what Moses had to show that God was with him. What does he do when he ends up appearing to the people? The rod is used, right, to throw down and becomes the snake. And his hand comes out withered. Leprosy. It doesn't look the way it did. It's a healthy looking hand. I mean, he's 80 years old. It's a healthy looking hand. Puts it in and it changes. God uses what he has. He doesn't say, well, you need to scale the tallest mountain in Ethiopia and you'll find a vase. And it, it, he's not, he's not going to have some super crazy secret thing that he's got to have. What do you, what's in your hand? God will use Moses with whatever he has. Now, that applies to all of us. God doesn't want me. Who am I? You're not going to believe me. What's in your hand? We'll circle back to that. It's a long series of excuses so far. Here comes excuse number four. Moses said to, the, to a God, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak clearly. I keep like I'm chewing on my tongue or something like that. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I can't speak to a bunch of people. Now look, this one you may identify with. Not everybody likes or even can stand to get up in front of people. They say in some people the fear of speaking to an audience is greater than the fear of death. Maybe this is real. I, 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 I don't want to get in front of people. Not me. What's God's response here? I almost detect a raising of the voice. God's patience, I think, with Moses is bound to be slowly ebbing here, slowly wearing out. And so I would think God says, then the Lord said to him, oh yeah, it's almost like, who has made man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? You're telling me you're slow of speech? Well, look, who made your mouth? If I'm telling you to go and speak and bring my people out, I made your mouth. You'll be able to speak. I hear it. It doesn't say it, but it certainly seems like this is getting a little old to God. So God knows how he made Moses and wants him to go anyway. If you can't speak clearly, I'm with you. I've already told you that. Moses isn't through. Excuse number five. Lord, please send somebody else. If he didn't whine, it sure is a whine. I don't want to go. 
I don't want to do it. Maybe he's afraid he'd kill somebody. That's the heart of the problem. Somebody else do it. When God needs something, when the church needs something, when somebody needs something, somebody else will take care of that. I don't have to worry about it. After all, I got things to do. I got to get these sheep back. I got to get ready for the harvest and the shearing. And I got, I got, I got things I got to do. I can't worry about those people over there. I don't even know where they are. Send somebody else. Let somebody else do it. God's response this time, I told you I thought his patience was running low, that the Lord became angry with Moses. Surprised? Not really not. God ends up saying that Moses' brother Aaron can do the speaking. Fine, I'll get somebody else to actually do the talking to everyone. What's next? Are you done? Did you see what I thought was the key excuse? Did you see it? I really think it's this where God responds and says, what's in your hand? When God calls us to do something, we all have different things, as it were, in our hands. Everybody has something. Everybody has a talent. Rather than giving excuses when we see something that God wants us to do, when we're called to help other people, when we're called to act, rather than giving excuses, Look at your hands and say, what can I do? Maybe I can't get up and talk to a group of people. Maybe I can't, you don't want me helping to repair anything that's not me, you don't want that, it'll be worse after than it would be before. But what can I do? Find something and get busy. Rather than, I can't do this, I can't do anything at all. Get up and get busy. We all have something in our hand I like this verse. It's over in 1 Peter chapter 4. Used it for a class once. Peter here speaking and says, Each of you should whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its very forms. Why? Why should I use what I have to serve other people so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus? If you really want to tell God, I'm not worried whether you tell me, you really want to tell God that I don't have any talents. Well, maybe the task that comes up is moving a box. Maybe the task that comes up is praying for people in private by yourself. Everybody can do something. To an extent, before God, none of us, none of us are empty-handed. Look at the verse in 1 Peter again. Use whatever gift you have received. He doesn't say... Use the gift you've received if God gave you one. Everybody should use whatever gift you had received to serve others. I think that's what the world needs today. We used to talk about, people used to talk about the 1980s as the decade of greed. There was some movie that said greed is good. Greed is the foundation for progress. That's not a 1980s thing. Selfishness is at the heart of all evil things. It really is. I'm selfish. I don't want to do what God wants because I want to do what I want to do. 
I don't want to help somebody because it's inconvenient to me. I want to do what I want to do. We focus on self instead of focusing on God and helping other people. We're not that important. Granted, we're important enough that God sent his son to die for each and every one of us, but not in our own heads. We're not important up here to ourselves. It needs to be God, other people, finally, maybe, me. What's in your hand? The worst excuse, the worst possible excuse is the one we make not to become a member of God's family. When we get to the point, and we are at the point, to where we close a lesson and say, God wants you not to go to Egypt and bring his people out. Not to do some magic wild thing on the top of a mountain. God wants you to come back home to him and change your life from wrong to right. Fancy word for that is repent. And wants you to die to the way you have been living be buried in water, fancy word for that is baptism, so that God can wash away your sins while you're under the water and you be raised up to walk in newness of life as a brand new person, free, free from all the guilt of sin that may be in your life. We think of excuses. Yeah, I'm going somewhere, I don't want to get wet. Yeah, yeah. We find any excuse to not come home to God. It may be that what's in your hand this morning, remember God said what's in your hand. Maybe what's in your hand this morning is an opportunity to come home to God and join his family, one of his children. Please don't let that opportunity slip away from you this morning. Give your life to God today. As together we stand and sing.